number of years ago, I, uh, I heard a sermon called From Excuses to Excellence by John Maxwell. And so uh, I, I preached it many, many, many years ago, and uh, I came across some of the notes and went, this is good stuff. And I haven't taught it here in a long, long, long time, so I've revised it, Mikeized it. <laughs> so I want to share with you some hope, because I know there are people struggling with tough stuff going on in their lives, people in their lives that have hurt them, um, family members co-workers, bosses, spouses, children, you name it. Like, hurt happens all the time. We just finished a 13-week forgiveness series, and we, we really unpacked an awful lot there and dealt with a lot of key issues in that series. If you've not seen it and you're struggling with how to deal with pain, uh, somebody hurting you, you've got to watch that series. It's on YouTube. Please do. But today I want to take a look at a person's life who was very impacted uh, by God in a, in a way he didn't see coming. And so today, finding hope when fear cripples you, how God turns our excuses into success. I want that. I got lots of excuses, excuses why I can't do certain things. I am more afraid of stepping to the next steps and, and plans than you possibly realize. Some people have told me, but you look, you sound like you got it all together. You sound like you, you're so confident, you know. It's like, if only you knew. And, you know, you don't realize I even get nervous up here. And some of you are going to laugh. Yeah, right, you do. Yes, I do. And sometimes I'm scared of how it's going to be received. Sometimes I'm scared if, I, if I'm going to be able to communicate it as, as effectively as it's soaked into me. Do you know how you try and translate what you're excited about and, and share with others? Well, I hope this morning I can do the same for you, that you will catch a very, very practical life application from a very, very old guy named Moses. And uh, he, he's got some history. And some of you have, how many have seen the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? 95% of you. The rest of you, who? Okay, it's coming. Don't worry. All right, let's talk about this story of Moses. It begins with Moses uh, being born. That's a great start. Yes. So he got born, and uh, his life was in danger because he got born at the wrong time, according to Egypt and how they wanted to get rid of their potential um, slaves who were going to overpower them in numbers. So they started killing off all the boys, and he was one of them that was born in that time. But his mom saved him, put him in the Nile River, in a little basket. Uh, Pharaoh's da daughter, or whoever, somebody finds him, ooh, that's sweet, and uh, uh, thinks it's a gift from the gods to her, so can tell it's a Hebrew baby. They go find a Hebrew mom, which happens to be the real mom. Pretty cool, because the sister was kind of watching nearby. So that's his life got spared. He became a prince, and with it came all the benefits associated. He got, like, serious food, okay? We're talking anytime he wanted. He also got an, a serious education. He was well-versed in Egyptian thought, in Egyptian culture, and all their beliefs, their, their mysticisms, their, 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 their God system that they had uh, learned. Like, it's all there. They, you probably could read all those cool emojis that are on the walls. You know, it's, what goes around comes around. Forget it. If you don't get that, never mind. Yes, haha, thank you. That's a shout out. Like, that was a verbal like. Yes, good. So then he kind of wakes up to who he is. And uh, he sees some injustice 
there is a, an Egyptian leader uh, being very, very harsh to a Hebrew slave. He sees it and he goes and kills him. Didn't think anybody saw him. Hides his body, buries the body. So here he, as a prince of Egypt, kills another Egyptian. Found out that they knew, somebody knew, and he fled. He took off. So he became a fugitive. He took off. And listen to this, becomes a shepherd of all the jobs. Seriously, that's one of the worst. It's one of the loneliest. It's one of the most annoying. Sheep are super annoying. They're one of the dumbest animals on any farm. That's just a fact. Seriously, they're startled easy. They're afraid of everything. They're picky eaters. They need nice green grass to lay on. You know, they, they can't handle rushing water. We heard that in Psalm 23. You know, that, this, again, Psalm 23 is the comfort of a God who is a better shepherd, knowing all the needs of the sheep and caring for them. Funny how David, one of the other great leaders, also began as a shepherd. And here Moses also did a role of being a shepherd. And then he moved from a life of a potential back to the east side of the desert. He had the future set out for him. He had the pedigree. He had the degrees. He had it all and gone. And now he's a shepherd. Like that's the extreme opposite. Then he has a, a Moses' dream is completely dashed by the time this burning bush. You remember the story of the burning bush? That's where we're going to go today. So Exodus chapter 3. And I want to read to you, so I don't make this up, um, what's going on in this? Because this particular story wakes us up to some things in ourselves. There's some parallels of our common humanity that we can recognize not only in ourselves, but then see it in others and have mercy for others, which is what this whole growth is about. So far, we've got Moses, who spent 40 years thinking he was somebody. Then he spent 40 years learning he was a nobody. Moses spent 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. D.L. Moody wrote that. Like literally, 40 years. So how many here are around the 40 mark? Just over, just under. Okay, so from child to now is when he was a pharaoh, like a rich kid, like spoiled, well-trained, blah, blah, blah. Now, he's got another 40, 40 years in the desert. That means what age? 80. How many are around the 80 mark? Don't you dare give up. You've barely gotten started. The next 40 are pretty serious. <laughs> Just kidding. But the point here is there's a significant change, and it's a long period of time. Especially today when we want the instant vending God or vending machine God to answer our prayers. And we want him to answer fast. We can't understand why, 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 now, 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 now. It's like a teenager. Why, 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 why? Like that happens. And we're doing that to God when really, even Moses, it took 40 years for him to become a perfect servant. From trying to be the one who is a leader to now becoming a servant which will equip him for what is to come. So let's take a look at this. One day in Exodus chapter 3, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he went deep into the wilderness near Sinai, the mountain of God. Suddenly, the angel of the Lord appeared to him as a blazing fire in a bush. Moses was amazed because the bush 
was engulfed in flames, but it didn't burn up. First of all, I'd be amazed at a burning bush, okay? Maybe I'm a little simpler. I don't know, but he was amazed that it wasn't burning up. Okay, well, it's on fire. It's still on fire. The leaves are still green. What is this? Okay, that's kind of what it's like. Uh, da, 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 da. Amazing, Moses said to himself, why isn't that bush burning up? I must go over there and see this. When the Lord saw that he had caught Moses' attention, hint, hint, put that on the back burner for later, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. That's what we saw in the Charlton Heston movie, okay? All right. Do not come any closer, God told him. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he hid his face in his hands because he was afraid to look at God. Stop here for a minute. Keep in mind, Moses had spent 40 years fully being trained in Egyptian thought, culture, and spiritual faith, okay? Their, their, their world. He just spent another 40 years in the desert doing whatever he's doing, ends up getting married and becomes a shepherd for Jethro. And Jethro is a priest. So clearly the other area of education now is in the Jewish culture, in the Hebrew culture. Now he's hearing these stories. So he's got another 40 years of learning something he was not exposed to before, which is his original heritage. He just didn't know it. Now he does. So here we go. Uh, then the, verse 7, then the Lord told him, you can be sure that I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries for deliverance from their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come to rescue them from the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own good spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Sounds sticky. The land where the Canaanites and Hittites, Amorites and Perizzites and Hivites and Jezebites live. The cries of the people of Israel have reached me and I have I, the cries of the people of Israel have reached me and I have seen how the Egyptians have oppressed them with heavy tasks. Now go. For I am sending you to Pharaoh. You will lead my people, to, uh, uh, the people, my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And here it begins, the whining. But who am I to appear before the Pharaoh, Moses asked. How can, I, how can you expect me to lead the Israelites out of Egypt? Then God told him, I'll be with you. And this will serve as proof that I have sent you. When you have brought the Israelites out of Egypt, you will return here to worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, as in, kept on going. Sound familiar? If I can go to the people of Israel and tell them, sorry, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me, they won't believe me. They're going to ask, which God, small g, are you talking about? What is the name? What should I tell them? And God replied, I am the one who always is. Just tell them. I am has sent me to you. God also said, tell them, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This will be my name forever. It has always been my name, and it will be used throughout all generations. 
Go now and call together all the leaders of Israel. Tell them the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me in the burning bush. And he said, you can be sure that I am watching over you and have seen what is happening to you in Egypt. I promise to rescue you from the oppression of the Egyptians. I will lead you to the land now occupied by the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Havites, and Jubilites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The leaders of Israel, or the people of Israel, will accept your message. Then all of you must go straight to the king of Egypt and tell him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us go on a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go except under heavy pressure. So I will reach out and strike the heart of Egypt with all kinds of miracles. Then at last he will let you go. And I will see to it that the Egyptians treat you well. They will load you down with gifts so you will not leave empty-handed. <laughs> cool. The Israelite women will ask for silver and gold jewelry and fine clothing from their Egyptian neighbors and their neighbors' guests. With this clothing, you will dress your sons and daughters, and in this way you will plunder the Egyptians. Chapter 4. But Moses protested again. Like, seriously? Here's God talking to him. Who would, first of all, would you and I not be mesmerized by the idea of God, I am, is speaking to us and the ground's holy? Remember, he already covered his face. He knew who he was talking to and he still had a yeah, but. Um, I'm sure he's not the only one. We all have that, we always question. Double, double, triple, triple check. <laughs> he protested, look, they won't believe me. They won't do what I tell them. They'll just say the Lord never appeared to you. Then the Lord asked him, what do you have there in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw it down and it became a snake. Moses was terrified, so he turned away and ran. Something's not computing with this guy, okay? Maybe he's been in the sun too long. Then the Lord told him, take a hold of its tail. So Moses, I'm surprised he didn't object. <laughs> like, if you're going to object, this is a spot to object. Not recorded. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it became a shepherd's staff again. Perform this sign, and they will believe you, the Lord told him. Then they will realize that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, put your hand inside your robe. Moses did so. And when he took it out again, it was white and as snow with leprosy. Ugh. Now, put your hand back in your robe again. And the Lord said, uh, the Lord said and Moses did. And when he took it out this time, it was healthy like the rest of his body. If, you, if they do not believe the first miraculous sign, they will believe the second, the Lord said. If they do not believe you, even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River, pour it down on dry ground. When you do it, it will turn into blood. But Moses pleaded. Like, okay. <laughs> you seeing a, a bit of a pattern here? Pattern. But he pleaded with the Lord, Oh Lord, I'm just not a good speaker. I can, I've never been, I'm not now, and even after you've spoken to me, I'm clumsy with words. Uh, 
Who makes mouths, the Lord asked. Who makes people so they can speak or not speak? Hear or not hear? See or not see? It is I, the Lord. Now go and do as I've told you. I will help you speak well and I will tell you what to say. But Moses (laughs) pleaded again. (laughs) Brick walls, seriously. Please send someone else. Wow. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said. What about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? He's a good speaker. And look, oh, here he is on his way to meet you. (laughs) Do you think God knew what the conversation was going to be like? Yeah. This is a powerful story. And I'm certain you will find elements of fear and anxiety within yourself that connect to what Moses may have been feeling. There is hope. Lessons from the burning bush. First thing, it says that Moses was attracted to the burning bush because it wasn't burning up, which leads me to a belief that maybe bushes did catch on fire on their own. Maybe it was not an uncommon thing. For you and I, it's uncommon because I've never seen a bush on fire out there, right? Have you? I haven't. But the other day, I saw something on fire that shouldn't have been on fire, and it just happened. It was, it was very weird, and there's a police officer trying to poke it out. It was in front of the police department, but it was that, that mulch, that red cedar mulch stuff, and it was burning it just on its own. Something happened with the way the air and the moisture and the heat and whatever was going on. Something combusted in there out of the blue. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was downtown Kitchener in front of the, uh, the women's shelter place. Uh, I think it was on Frederick Street. I'm walking past, and there's a huge fire. The, the garden bed is on fire, and I'm getting people to bring the stuff that we ended up having to call the fire department to put it out, but that's not normal, all right? This bush, regular fires must have been happening, but he saw and noticed that this bush was not burning up. <laughs> God uses usual things to get our attention. Don't think he has to have an angel go poof. Because clearly Moses, you know, he met God and that didn't work. So what, who's to say it's going to work for you? Even though I pray often, dear God, send me an angel. It'll just make it a little bit better. Makes for a good story and it would help me believe more. <laughs> Hasn't happened. Not yet. But here's the idea. He appears in the usual Maybe if our antenna is up, maybe if our eyes are aware and alert to, hey, finding God in the usual and the common things of life. Number two, um, he can get your attention even when you're not paying attention. It says in the text, when God got Moses' attention. This is a huge truth for all of us. Do you have loved ones you are trying to see their lives change? You're praying that God will get their attention and and make some course corrections in their lives? Are you praying for somebody to come to a belief in this loving God you say you believe in and are hoping and hoping and you're shoving tracks down their face and forcing them to go to church and you name it and dropping off the Christian books and all that stuff, you know, even your language. Like, maybe, maybe you can stop. Maybe... God, who loves them, knows how to get their attention. And it's not up to you. Maybe he's given you 
a completely different focus, and you can't see it because you're so focused on someone else. Okay? Chew on that for a minute. What normal life circumstances could God be using to try and get your attention today? Is there a crisis that's come? Is there a new event? Is there, like, I know at time of a new birth, some parents, they go, oh, we should, hmm, we should probably start going to church, get some religion into our kid, get our kid done, do the baptism, blah, 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 blah. And these kinds of events trigger something innate. They don't know why. They just think it's something they have to do. But what if that is the very thing, whether motive is good or bad, what if that is the very thing that's going to lead them, God's using that, to bring them to a place of spiritual awareness because God's in charge of the path of where they go and who they connect with. It's okay. Or a death happens. That can cause a lot of uh, redirections and course corrections. <laughs> yeah, anyway, you can make your list. It's, usually a crisis can do that. Uh, next. He told Moses, the ground you stand on is holy. What made that ground holy? Anybody know? What made the ground holy? The presence of God made that ground holy. Isn't that kind of cool? So Moses took off his sandals because the ground was holy. He knew the etiquette. If he was a Hittite or something like that, he probably wouldn't have taken his shoes off. I don't know. Who knows? But... Good news for you and I, where does God live now? He does not live in the temples or churches. Going to church does not get you closer to God. Going to a church gets you in more contact with other fellow believers and creative fellowship and encouragement. That, that's great, and you can learn stuff too. But the church is not where God is at. He lives in you. And that does what to you then? makes you holy. You are holy. You don't have to try to become holy. I read a book years ago called The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. It was required reading at the camp I went to. And oh yeah, I'm going to pursue, pursue. Oh yeah, I got to try harder to become more holy. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea I was already holy. <laughs> Interesting. Let's take a look at some insights about God. Who is this God from this text? What can we learn about him? First, he revealed to Moses that he's walked with all the past generations. He's been in your history all along. He's been in my history. He's showing Moses, I am in your history. I've gone before you already. Gotcha. Uh, he guided them, and he will also guide you. If God can do this with Moses, you're easy. Okay? You know why you're easy? You have access to so much more revelation, and Moses did not have the benefit of experiencing Christ in him. This is the pre-cross experience, however that works in time and history. I don't know. Let's not get into all that. But for the sake of history, the cross hadn't happened yet. The Holy Spirit had not been released in the way that it has in the, in the New Testament church. So you and I have the greater benefit of seeing things more clearly now, having greater history, like, Honestly, like this poor guy, you know, like if you just take a look at his circumstances, God was fully aware of the circumstances in life. He told him, I know what's going on here. I know what's going on with your people, Israel. I know, I hear the crying, I hear the pain. God's in the business of rescuing hurting people. I saw one church sign that said, We love hurting people. Don't go there. 
You get it now. <laughs> Careful with your wording. <laughs> yeah. But God saw the people of Israel were hurting and being oppressed. Way above what should be. Even for normal slaves, they were overdoing it. Chris just got it. <laughs> That's good. That's a little... <laughs> and then, look at this. This is awesome. I love the very end where we just left off with, the, with that text. God will use other people in your life too. If he is going to give you a direction, most likely you'll not have to do it alone anyway. He uses people. Every single story in Scripture, there is the participation of humanity. Even with Christ, there was a, a participation of humanity in all of the miracles even. God used the man Jesus. Jesus could have just gone, okay, all Israel, y'all are healed now, boom, done. And then everybody in all of Israel would have been healed. Didn't do that. Okay, He went to places. He was drawn to the hurting individuals, to those suffering. God is drawn to that. Why? Because he has compassion. And he loves us. We're his children. If your child gets hurt, falls off a bike, and we got some pretty good bloodshed, you know, like, first thing you're going to do is go, oh, go see your mother. Right? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You're, gonna, you're going to try and clean it up and help them. They're crying. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Everything you can possibly do to reduce the suffering there right in, right down there. Correct? That you do that. Well, if we can do that as humans that have wrestlings with all kinds of emotions, why do you think God would be any less? He's far greater. He loves far more than we do, and he seeks to help those who suffer. you got a good God who loves you. God said to Moses, he will deliver his people. And he was excited. This is great. Yay, I'm going to use you. Oh, boy, no. Okay? Like, there was a back and forth, back and forth. Moses does what we do. Oh, God, let me give you my list of all the reasons why you should not use me. How many insecurities do we all have? No hands up because the lists are big. Even for those who seem to have the greatest confidence and walk around with, I wouldn't, pride's the wrong word, but there's some people who can, they just seem like they're strong people. And other people are attracted to them and they want to be with them and be like them and be around them because they draw strength from them. Even those people have significant insecurities. All of us have them. It keeps us human. It draws us to Christ. It's that very thing that God uses to draw us to him because then we don't rely on our self-sufficiency. We'll cover that a little later. The greatest leader in history started out by telling God all the reasons why he shouldn't, wouldn't, and couldn't work. Wow. You did notice the pattern of the arguing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's just crazy. His excuses. We'll run through them real quick. He said, who am I? Moses had an insecurity problem, but God gave him assurance. His, one of his key problems was insecurity. I, I am insecure in who I am. I'm not the one. If you only knew my history, his, uh, history they're after me. I, I've, I'm going to go to jail or trial because I'm a murderer back there. I'm not going to go back into that. Why do you think I fled the country? There's no extradition process here. I'm fine. I'm safe. Huh. 
God may be trying to purge your own self-confidence, your ego, or self-reliance so he can give you the gift of God-confidence or God-reliance to show you and reveal to you where you're drawing your strength from. Sometimes a crisis like this will highlight some key patterns in your life that you would not have seen had the crisis not come. I promise you it's true. I'm experiencing it right now. I'm learning things about myself I could not have seen had I not gone through some stuff I'm going through. I'm waking up to another level of, wow, if this crisis had not happened, I would not be learning some of the things I am learning now, and I'm being rescued from a trail, a potential disaster. Be careful with thinking God made a mistake. <laughs> I remember when I came home from Mexico, end of January there, and uh, my sermon was, when God messes up your plans. The short summary of the answer, now you don't have to listen to it, but the end of it is, if it's God's plan, it's not messed up. We're thinking about Another excuse, what shall I say to them? Moses had a strategy problem. He didn't know what to do. God gave him a detailed plan. Like, did you hear that list that God gave him? If you do this, this, throw that, I think that, oh, that didn't work. Okay, put your hand. You know, no. It, he still didn't catch on, and then he still had the gall to say, good sentiment. That's what he does. It's crazy. All right, what shall I say to them? Tell them who I am. First thing he tells Moses, tell them who I am. He got into the I am. I am a consistent God who always has been, always will be, who is not limited to body or time or of any limitations that we as humans have, a consistent God who is in control. In the Hebrew, it basically means I am who I am and who I need to be. And if you are here last week, there's no gender in this one. Did you notice that? God is neither male nor female. But he's represented in the written scripture as male most often. But as we saw last week, there is definitely a feminine side of God because he did make us in his image, male and female. He made them. And you need both. You and I have to say, I am that which I have become, or I am that of which I was born, or I am that which circumstances have made me. But God is saying, I am who I am. He trumped it all. Now, maybe Moses had a lot of thinking and meditating to do to figure out what that meant. Who knows? But that's how it was recorded for us. God also told them, reveal the faithfulness of God. The God who took care of your forefathers will take care of you. He's affirming. He's constantly affirming, assuring the whole time he's talking to Moses. God doesn't even buy into the whining, except at the end it says he got angry, you know, um, See, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. I'd like to dig into what that really says, uh, if that's translated correctly or not. I'm not sure. Uh, but either way, that's how it's recorded for us. So God took care of the forefathers. He's reassuring. Then, he, uh, then he's told to communicate to the leaders. He said, go and talk to the Israelite leaders when you get there. And if you saw the movie, um, it was pretty, there's a lot of accuracy. According to the story, it laid out some really, really good parts of the story. So you can get a pretty good uh, accurate picture from this text in the movie, The Ten Commandments, with Charlton Heston in it. Bring the leaders together, 
And there are four things they are to do. Tell them God is concerned for them and more assurance. So now God's telling Moses, now you be the assurer through me. I'm telling you what to say. They need assurance. They're depleted right now. They're beat up. 400 years, not a word. But I want my hot coffee now. 400 years of not hearing from God. And now he's coming as a voice. Tell them of the potential plans. Tell them their responsibilities to help you. That may not go over too well. I have a funny feeling uh, Moses was probably a little bit insecure about that one. You know, uh, Tell them the potential problems. Okay, great. That'll really motivate them. Uh, and then watch this. Watch God be the source to make it happen. When we give up all of our excuses, God expresses himself through us in a unique way. It's not the surrender that does it. We just become aware as we surrender. Go, Oh my goodness, the source is bigger than me. I'm one with the source and the source is one with me. His excuses. What if they will not hear or believe me? Well, Moses kind of had the credibility issue, right? Murderer, integrity problem, but God was his guarantor. How many things have I signed for passports for individuals or documentation across the border as a guarantor, you know, to back up the claim that I've known this person? Well, God said, I'm your guarantor. Just relax. It's okay. I have never been eloquent. <sighs> you know, somebody said he had a speech problem but he seemed to have no problem talking back to God at all, but he was insecure. All the excuses come from an insecurity, self-reliance, okay? He has a self-worth problem, and God provides someone so that fear didn't cripple him. God knows all your excuses already. He knows all your fears and he's put into place a plan to override them and show you he'll be consistent in your life. And he's got victory for you. There is hope. There's good news. Hey, if you can whine like this guy, okay, enjoy the whining, but look at the results. All the whining brought him to a place of no more excuses. What can we learn from today? Our past failures may cause us to be hesitant about moving ahead with what God may have put on our hearts. Your past reveals where you've been. It does not define who you are. I read a meme just last night, I think it was, something to the effect of, you don't, don't be angry at the bad circumstances that have happened to you because they have shaped participated in shaping who you are today, negative and positive. There has to be a way to look back, maybe after some time, maybe after a long time, but either way, there may be a time where we can look back and realize, wow, that event caused a correction or a course adjustment for me, and now, now my character is being shaped even more. Hmm. Past failures only reveal our weakness and need to rely on God, who is our enabler. Who is your source? Christ is your source. Remember we've read, I forget where it is now, but he said he is, he is the uh, initiator of our faith. 
He's the one who gives us the dreams and plans for the hopes we have. He's also the one who gives us the strength to do the work to get those plans to become reality. He's also the success, the outcome of all those plans. It's all him. And since you're in union with Christ, wow, you've got confidence in your confidant. This is powerful. 2 Corinthians 12.10 says, Therefore I am well content with weakness, with insults, distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What the world calls strong, I have a funny feeling Scripture sees as weakness because it's all self-building up. But what the world sees as weak or servants, God would say, that is strength. There's no room for arrogance. Arrogance is a sign of weakness. Pride is a sign of weakness. Calling out people and being a complainer and crabbing about them is a signs of weakness because you're trying to raise yourself above them because you're insecure. Did you notice how the Trinity came and we experienced the Trinity on the cross, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? They submitted to the cross. They didn't have any insecurities. <laughs> there were no insecurities for God to submit himself to become human. Totally fine with it. Philippians 4.13 says, And I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty or to master all things. It's Christ's power in you. If you don't know what it looks like or how to access it, just say a prayer. God, that's your prayer. He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows your intentions. You can just go, God! And you can't even put into words. You can try. It doesn't matter. He knows, he knows how to interpret and understand. He knows what you mean. But he loves the connection. Loves it when we call out. Because it's a response to what he has been doing already in you. He's been reaching into you, drawing you to himself through circumstances. His goal is for you to experience his love in a way you've not experienced yet. He wants you to believe it, especially if you're harboring self-doubt and misbeliefs or faulty beliefs that he doesn't like you even, or he hasn't forgiven you, he doesn't love you. Like If those are your thoughts that are consuming you, and you're thinking, oh no, I hope I make it in the end, listen, your target for love... <laughs> God never calls us to any task that we can perform acceptably without him. I had somebody encourage me recently, dream bigger than is natural. Plan for plans that you possibly cannot do. Ugh, kind of talk drives me nuts. Okay, it just does. Sometimes it's filled a bit too much with this positive thinking stuff. Anybody hear of that? And you go, oh, come on, let's just talk. But the truth was, that's up to God, not me. Regardless of what I feel about thinking positively, sometimes people put positivity in positivity. Is there a benefit? Sure there is. Don't dismiss it. 
but my positivity is, the source of it is Christ. That I know. Many people speak positivity for positivity's sake, thinking that's the power. It's not the power. They'll come to learn the power is Christ. The, moments, the moment Moses quit making excuses, God began to solve his problems. Look at what begins to happen when we stop making excuses. Doors started to open for him. Danger was wiped out. When he sent Aaron, he said, I got somebody coming. I think, I think, I think, I think, if the text is read right and if it's revealed properly to us, uh, Moses may have heard the tone of God. <laughs> You know, after that last excuse, okay, 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 got it. I'm guessing, okay, as a human, I would think that. So what are your excuses? Whatever they are, to either believe in God, to believe He fully loves you and accepts you, whatever your little list is, that you can't take care of your family, that you can't take care of your circumstance, that you're worried about so-and-so, that you have this big problem, whatever your issues are, Yield and surrender them. For God has come to you already. You're surrounded by His light. His light shines through you as we have seen throughout the New Testament. Through all people, His light shines through. It's not absent. So maybe blind people need to be able to see. Pray for people to awaken to the light shining through them to believe the message of the light of Christ. And then to rely on that power. So next time you have an excuse or a word, and look at this bozo. (laughs) I love how some of the stories in Scripture are so real. They allow all the dirt, all the flaws of individuals to come out. If we would have written the Bible today, we would have cleaned it all up and make everybody perfect and, ooh, no, no flaws, got to cover those flaws quickly, correct that story, blah, blah, blah. But no, we get it raw. Be encouraged today. Let's pray.